Isn't it good to be in the Lord's house? Just, uh, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and you're probably going to take it lightly, but I have a couple of unspoken prayer concerns. If you would lift those up today and maybe a time or two this week, would you just lift up your hand? If you'd lift up those unspoken prayer concerns. Okay, thank you so much. In the Garden of Gethsemane, You know, the Bible has passages that uh, we might overlook or we might handle pretty lightly. Right or wrong, we just come to passages and it just doesn't really speak to us too awfully much. But then we have other passages that just grab us. And we have other passages, the more you read it, the more you think upon it, I call the more that it just just swells up it just expands continues to expand and uh, you, you look at some passages and it just jumps off the page at you and we're at one of those passages today Exodus 3 5 says this then he said do not come near take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground you remember that Moses was at the burning bush and the Lord told him that he was standing on the holy ground. Well, when you open up your Bible and you begin to read Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46, whether you know it or not, you are standing on holy ground. It is a powerful passage in God's Word. Spurgeon calls this the king beneath the olive trees. The king beneath the olive trees. That's our text for today. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Mark also has it in chapter 14. Luke also has it. So anytime you find all three of the synoptic gospels using the same passage and speaking of, what do we know? It's important. It's important that we, we look at these seriously. Spurgeon again says, Here we come to the holy of holies of our Lord's life on earth. His last few hours upon this earth as he approached the cross. Spurgeon says, This is an event like Moses encountered with the bush burning, but not being consumed with fire. No man can rightly explain such a text. It is a subject made for prayerful, heartbroken meditation, and it's made more for heartbroken meditation and prayer than for human language to try to explain. And, and I would just challenge you, if you would, this next three or four weeks, and uh, we're going to have Christian Santos will be here for Mission Sunday. I'm going to preach a Lord's Supper. I'm sorry, I'm going to preach a resurrection sermon. Uh, I'm going to preach, uh, we had a question this morning. Uh, a guy said, I've, I've never been in my church in, a, in my life that they didn't take an offering or ask for money. He said, how do, how do y'all fund the church here? And I just pointed back to our little offering box back there and said this is the way we began to do it uh, when, when uh, COVID uh, came along. But 
we're going to look at this over the, the next several weeks, and I pray that you would read it every day and meditate upon it. Think about, think about some things about the Scripture, uh, the place where it happened. I want you to just begin to think today about all the things that you already know happened on the Mount of Olives. And there's another event that's going to happen on the Mount of Olives. Okay? Think about the place. Think about, uh, think about the cup. Think about the burden. Think about why a man who knew he was going to have to die on the cross would sweat drops of blood. And then think about the battle that he was in. He, he, is, he is in a battle there with the powers and spiritual, spiritual powers in the heavenly realm. It's a, it's a serious, serious scripture. William Barclay said, Surely this is a passage that we must approach upon our knees. We must approach it on our knees. D.A. Carson said, As his death was unique, so was his anguish. So were the sufferings of Christ unique. No human being has ever suffered the way that Christ suffered. And I would add to those statements that I need to approach this passage with much trembling and great awe as I try to preach it to you. So pray for me. Yet surely in this deep passage, there's something for us to learn, amen? I mean, every time we assemble, every time we come together in the preaching of God's Word, you young people, when your dad, when your mom breaks out God's Word at home, what should you be telling yourselves? What should you be asking yourself? What can I learn? And that's what we should be asking ourselves today. As I've studied upon this for a couple of weeks ahead of you guys, this passage just emphatically says to me that Christ was fully God and fully man. I don't believe there's any passage that any more clearly illustrates that. So let us approach this passage with all of the above statements in mind and let us truly worship the magnificence of this text. I pray today, dear Lord, that you would bless the preaching of God's Word, the hearing of God's Word, and the application of God's Word. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You have your notes in front of you. You're also going to need your Bible because none of the uh, scriptures from uh, Matthew are in your notes. So when I say verse 36, you will have to have it open there to your Bible. So if you would have your Bible in one hand, if you would have your notes in the other, that'll help us move along. So what we're looking at in this first scripture is the place Gethsemane. Verse 36, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. You get the picture? Uh, they have gone up on the Mount of Olives again. They have gone to a place that this was not Jesus' first visit to the Garden of Gethsemane. He went there often. Now, how do we know that? Because Judas knew where he was going to find him. So he went there off, often with his disciples. And he, so he went up there, 
and he said to them, sit here. He's probably talking to the eight outside Peter, James, and John. He says, sit here while I go over there and pray. Lots to be learned about this, and we'll learn it over the next few days. He went to this place called Gethsemane with a purpose. What was that purpose? To pray. To get prepared for what was about to happen. That's a good way to start your day out, by the way. You know, prayer every morning before your day starts is telling God, I am, by coming to you, preparing for this day that you've given me. Mark 14, 32, you have this one. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Luke 22, 39 through 41 says, and he came out and went, listen to these words, as was his what? Did you know you ought to be predictable to your family? Spiritually speaking, you ought to be predictable to your family. You know what I'm, I'm talking about? When your kids get up in the morning, they ought to know where to find you. And they should not be surprised to find you either on your knees or studying God's Word. Amen? Because that should be the what? Your custom. What you normally do. As he came in, came out and went, as was his custom, to where? The Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, that, that place within the Garden of Gethsemane, within the, the olive press, the oil press, when he came to that special place, he said to them. So I'm kind of seeing in my mind that he had this place, and this is normally where he went. But this time he got to that place he normally went, and he said, you guys stay here in this familiar place. I'm going a little further away. That's the way that I see this. And here's what he said to them. Pray that you do not enter into temptation. Because all, who's always hiding around the corner? Yeah, he is. Verse 41, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Now, how far I could throw a, throw a, a rock when I was... 20 is different than how far I can throw a rock when I was 70, but, oh, probably from here to the, the front of the church out there. He just went a little further. Does that tell us anything? Serious prayer probably needs to do, have something to do with being alone with Christ. And next week, we're going to look at this Gethsemane. We're going to look at the place. But now, I want you to just remember this. This is a place that he often went to, to, there you go. Do you have that place? Luke twenty-two forty 40 adds, he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. In verse 37 of, of Matthew 26, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and what? Troubled. The Son of God, who knew what he had to do at this point in time, is troubled. Did you know often in our Christian life we'll have times that we're troubled? Mark 14, 33 and 34. 
I already, well, I don't know if I did or not because uh, it repeats it so, so often. And he took with him, okay, Peter, James, and John, okay? The other Gospels doesn't tell who he took, but Mark does tell us that it was Peter, James, and John. And began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Verse 34, and he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. That's what he left the disciples to do. Again, Mark names them. Peter, James, and John. You remember another time that Peter, James, and John went off with Jesus? Where was that? Up on the Mount of Transfiguration. We've got it in Matthew 17, 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. It's just the nature of things that even Jesus, did y'all hear this? It's just the nature of things for uh, me to have two or three guys that I'm closer to than two or three guys that Bob have, are, is closer to. That's just the nature of things. This is the way it was. Peter, James, and John were close to Jesus. He took them with them on intimate trips. Wouldn't that be the case? We know he did in taking him up on the Transfig Mount of Transfiguration and here right before his death. So today, in the passage that we're in, he takes him, them with him to witness the cup, to witness the burden, to witness what was going on within him as he approached the cross. He took them with him at this time. And he said, Matthew 27, 45. Now, this kind of culminates the whole thing. And uh, it, it, we're a, a several, several weeks down the road to getting the Scripture. But this is what he's speaking of. So he's speaking of that time on the day that he died. We're speaking of that time in Matthew 27, 45. It was noon uh, on, on, uh, on a Friday. It was noon in the Middle East in April. And here's what it says in Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Now, I'm sure you've heard that there's going to be this event on April 6th called the eclipse. And it's going to get, uh, it's going to be dark, and the way I understand it, dark almost like nighttime in the middle of the day. Uh, for about four minutes here, I think. About a four minute time frame of some type of darkness. But this was a time in which for three hours it was pitch black and it wasn't an eclipse, okay? It was pitch black and even the guards could not see their hand in front of their face. A supernatural event is happening here. And so we're coming to that place that it got dark. We're coming to that place, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're coming to that place. And he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death, remain here and watch for me. So he began to be very sorrowful and very heavy. Uh, the Greek word that I can't pronounce to you is so expresses, expressive that it means the greatest sorrow that you can imagine. You just imagine whatever you think the greatest sorrow that you could imagine. It was worse than that. That's the agony that he was in. That's what was happening at this morning, moment in time. Matthew 26, 38. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, 
even to death. Remain here and watch with me. My soul is sorrowful, even to death. And, and what was the reason? What was the reason for all this sorrow? Now, now think about it just for a second. This could not have been because of his approaching death. For why did he come into the world? To die. To die on the cross for our sins. That's why he came into the world. And not only that, but many men have died at the stake. Many men have died with having their heads chopped off. Many men have died being sawn in two that didn't whimper. So it couldn't be just his physical death and the way it was going to happen that he was dealing with. Had to be something more to it than that. Well, what is that? Not only that, but he was prepared to lay down his life. He was willing to lay down his life. So it didn't have anything to do with his death or even the kind of death that he was going to die. He was not this trouble for how how he's going to leave his disciples. Why? He knew in a few days he's going to be resurrected, he's going to go to Galilee, and he's going to gather them back up. So it wasn't over the separation. But in the sense of his being separated from his father at that moment in time, he was sorrowful. He had never been separated from his father. But he was going to be for that period of time in which he took our sins upon himself. He was sorrowful, listen to this, for the wrath of God due to man for sin. He was about to experience the very worst of the wrath of God. The sin that he had taken up on himself. Luke twenty-two forty-three through 44 says this, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, if you guys didn't know this, this is not normal. Some things had to really happen for him to sweat anything that resembled drops of blood. He was in agony. And Luke, in this passage, is describing agony that can't rightly be described. There's no words to describe the agony that he was in. So just keep asking ourselves this, why the agony? Verse 39, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, my father, now listen to this prayer. My, my father, if it be possible. If it be possible, any other way, let this cup pass from me. Now when it says cup, it's, it's, a, it's a container, but it's a container filled with the wrath of God. Inimaginable wrath of God. If it be possible. Now, God the Son knew what? There was no other way. 
God come in the flesh, the Son of God come in the flesh, he says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But look at the last part of verse 39. This is the way every... Well, how, how did the Lord's Prayer end up? Does it not end up in the same way? It says, ends up this way. Not as I will, but as... I mean, you can pour your heart out for something that you specifically want to happen. You can pour your heart out petitioning God to bring it about, but you can also always end it this way. But your will be done. Because an earthly father, Andreas knows what would be good for Carlos. And if Andreas knows what's good for Carlos, how much more the heavenly father knows what is good. Amen? Mark 14, 35 through 36, And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed, If it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Again, Mark says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now listen, young people, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I would, I would understand. Matter of fact, at your age, I wasn't even thinking about praying. But even at your young age, when you think about praying, it would, be, it would be hard for you to understand whatsoever that you might pray fervently for what you want, but then to have the maturity to say, that's what I want, but not my will, but your will be done. That's the place that we want to get, that we trust God in our praying. I mean, you may want something really bad. and You may think that's the thing that you really need. But how should you even, in your immaturity and youngness, to learn this prayer, not what I want. You know what you're saying? Lord, I trust you to give me what I need, not what I might want. Luke 22, 41 through 42. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So he's gone a little further from them about the distance that you could throw a rock. He took Peter, James, and John to that location. So he left the eight here. He went a little further with Peter, James, and John. Serious prayer loves privacy. Did y'all hear me? I mean, to get really serious about prayer, it needs to be you and God. It needs to be me and God. Now, corporate prayer is great. And things happen when, what, two or three are gathered together. Because if it's me and the Lord, there's, there's not a hard, fast uh, guarantee that he's there. But when two or three are there, what's the promise? But serious prayer is private prayer, individually speaking. Do you understand that? So here Christ teaches that private, closet, shut the door, Secret prayer is our duty. Now, I, I look over at Laura and I think about, what would that look for, for a mom? Well, first of all, it looks like that if she could drag herself out of bed before the kids did, she might have time with the Lord. But y'all have heard that old story about uh, back in the, the old days when mom was uh, had seven or eight kids and always cooking, always taking care uh, uh, around the household there that 
Sometime during the day, she'd sit down in her favorite chair and take that outer covering of that big dress that she wore and she'd throw it up over her head. And what did the kids know when she threw that dress up over her head? What they know? Leave mama alone because mama's praying. Amen? So even our kids ought to know that private prayer is important to us. Now, how do they know that? Because they catch you in that prayer. They see you in that prayer. They way more catch than you're teaching them with your words. Amen? They catch you in that position. So next week we're going to look at the cup. So he, he kneeled down. And then he went a little further and he fell on his face, prostrate before the Lord. Uh, I do think that's the place, that judgment, that we're going to find ourselves before the Lord when we come into his presence and see him for the first time. So it's probably good to practice that occasion, occasionally. Now, how do we normally pray? Standing, kneeling, sitting. That's the way we normally pray. But on the face, prostration was normally saved for the most urgent of prayer. You know what that's saying? At this moment, in the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ, He needed the Lord to help Him in the flesh. Verse 39b saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Did you ever notice how many times Jesus repeats things that are really important? Well, he repeats this three different times in this prayer. Luke twenty-two forty-two 42a says, Father, if you're willing. All Luke is doing is clarifying what Matthew said. But Jesus knew what must take place. In Matthew 26, 54, he says, But thou, how then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so. He knew he had to die, but in the flesh he was looking for God to have another way to keep him from having to go through this agony and this death. So, are y'all ready to think for just a second? So what's going on with this back and forth? Let the cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will. Let this cup pass from me, if possible, but not my will, but your will. He says it again, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will. What's going on? Let me give you two possible thoughts. There were those things that Christ knew as God in the flesh. He knew it because he was God come in the flesh. But how about then? He also knew things that he felt fully as a man in the flesh. You see, he's operating in two realms. The Son of God as the Son of God, and the Son of God is God come in the flesh, taking on a human body. So, I told you earlier that what I see from this scripture is just the doctrine that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. Do you not feel that when you read this scripture? Do you not just sense of what he was feeling as God come in the flesh? That's what overwhelms me about this scripture. John 1.14 says this, And the Word became what? Flesh. And did what? Dwell among us. Who in the world are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus Christ. And we have seen His glory. Glory is the only, as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's one thing 
for him to know what he knew as God. And what did he know as God? Everything. He knew the counsel of God. But his prayers were the prayers of a man in the what? Flesh. See the difference? I mean, no human being has, has yet to pray this type of prayer. But he prayed it. Is God come in the flesh? What he was saying was that his flesh did not want to endure what was going to happen. You know, we struggle with the opposite side of that. Amen? Our flesh begs for things that we know it doesn't need. Does it not? But then he begs. You know what he said? This is a great prayer for us. God, don't let my flesh get its way. Huh? Is that not what he said? He said, don't let my flesh have its way. That's a great prayer for us. Because it craves for things that are not of God. Verse 39c, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So here Jesus is teaching us the perfect prayer for most situations. How many times do we pray that we absolutely, absolutely think we know the will of God? If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, if we can't find it in the Word of God, we'd be amiss to pray in that way, right? So what's the perfect way to pray? I think I know what needs to happen. But I could be what? So I say, Lord, not my will, but what? This is... This is the perfect way to close prayers. You with me? The perfect way. Oh, Lord, I want to do well on that test. I want to pass this next exam. I want to get, I want to get chosen for this trip. If it be your... Verse 40, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? You, you do realize this is probably after midnight on Thursday. And they had been just a tad busy for most of the day. They had put together the Passover. They had experienced the Lord's Supper. Okay, it's getting late in the day. You guys that are older than 50 or 60 know what I'm talking about. It got late in the day and you were about done. Well, I don't know how old these guys were, but they were about done. Amen? So he said, he came to the disciples, verse 40, and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into... Oh, that's a good word for us. Instead of running into temptation... We ought to be praying that God not allow us to enter into temptation. Men, don't put yourself 
into the path of temptation. Because I'll just tell you what Scripture says. Your flesh is weak. Mark agrees and Luke says nothing of going further the second or third time. And probably in going further, he only dealt with Peter, James, and John when he returned to them. In verse 48 says, He came to his disciples and found them sleeping. James and John were there, but he deals plainly with Peter. Why did he deal plainly with Peter? Who was that guy that said three times, I'll never do that? Who was that guy? Well, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter... Could you not even stay awake one hour and pray with me? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You, Peter, that were so confident. Y'all know it goes right before the fall, right? Pride, right? Peter, you that were so proud were so confident. You'd never quit me. And then he goes on and says, and James and John, you told me you could drink of the cup that I was going to drink from. Now, he told them in Mark 10, 38, you don't know what you're talking about. Remember, they said, okay, so, well, mom came once, you remember, and asked the the place especially, and then they came and said, can I have on your right side and the other one on your left side? He says in Mark 10, 38, Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. In other words, in common language, you don't know what you're talking about. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? What did I tell you to do? Watch and pray that you enter not into what? Temptation. Are y'all listening to me? Young people. Beg God to not allow you to partake of the temptations of this world. You'll be so so glad you did down the road. So here he gives them the grace to deal with the weak flesh. So how, how how am I to, in the flesh, I'm weak. Somebody say amen. In the flesh we are weak. How are we to deal with that? Well, God gives us the graces to deal with that. And it's not to throw your Bible aside and throw prayer aside and throw the church aside and run headlong into temptation. That's not the way to do it. Watch and pray. More and better watching. Spiritual watching. And I just would say this, mom and dads, until they get to maturity level to do that, guess who should be praying for them? that they would watch and pray. It's for you to do. It's for me to do as a grandpa. Verse 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. He went away and said basically the same thing, but with more urgency. But he came back and he found them in the same state. So Jesus prayed three times and prayed much of the same way. You know, I had to go back all week long and see if I was repeating a scripture. Because the second and third prayer seems just like the first one. It seems like I've already said that once, right? Well, he had already said that once. He says it again. 
And quickly, the, fr the, fr the three of them, Peter, James, and John, they quickly found out what lesson? What, what lesson did Peter and John figure out? The spirit is weak. I'm sorry, the spirit, spirit is strong, but the flesh is. They found that out, didn't they? Because they couldn't even what? Couldn't even stay awake. So what's weak? The flesh. Why do we depend so much on the flesh? I think it's the nature of us. Verse 44. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. There'll be, there'll be time to sleep. See, the hour's at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So who's showed up, who's shown up in the Garden of Gethsemane? Judas, how did he know he was there? He'd been there before, amen? Mark 41, 12, 14, 41, and 42. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. What hour has come? The hour for his death has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go, seeing my betrayers at hand. So, now you remember this guy didn't want to do it? At the end of his prayer, what's he saying? Let's go. A, a few verses ago, in the flesh he was what? Weak, but through what? Prayer. And saying, not my will, but God's will. What's he ready now to do? He's ready to face the battle. He's ready to face the enemy. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Has he ever had an angel come before to him to strengthen him? Yes. He says they've slept long enough. An angel from heaven has appeared. So when he was being tempted in Matthew 4.11, the devil left him and the whole angels came and were ministering to him. Hey, listen to me. If you need them, God can send angels to minister to you. After you've exercised all of these different prayers and study and pleadings with God, if you need the angels, he can send them to you. Because they're, they're there. Myriads of angels what? Are hovering around the throne of God just waiting for God to say, go. John 12, 27 through 28. He says, now, my soul is my, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Look at, look at the next part of verse 27. But for this purpose... I have come to this hour. This is the hour that God had sent him from heaven to come to. And you know what, he, you know what he's saying now? I'm not going to shy away from it now. I'm going to finish the business. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. They continued to sleep. But Jesus did not further rebuke them for their sleeping. When he came to them the second time, we do not find that he said anything to them, but again he found them asleep. Now listen, false, worldly, carnal, 
security is not a good place to be. False, what did Spurgeon say? Always have some self-suspicion. Let, let me say this, Peter, Peter thought way too highly of himself. He was carnal in his thinking. He was worldly in his thinking. And once that kind of thinking takes over, it's hard to shake off. They, they fought sleep as much as they could. I, I, I think I told you all about this last week. I mean, for most of us that have a little gray hair, you know what it is to be sleepy, miserable, and can't go to sleep. These guys were sleepy, miserable. They couldn't stay awake in the flesh. Thus, Jesus had compassion on them. When he came the third time, he did not warn them again. He would allow them to be surprised by the coming mob. Listen to what he says. Now, sleep if you can. This is a paraphrase. Now, sleep if you can. Sleep if you dare. I would not disturb you if Judas and his band of men... Or not coming. He could already see the lights through the olive tree. He could already hear the approaching of this mob, this armed mob. That's how close it was. You know, you know what he's really saying to him? When when we are overcome with false security or with pride. He often will allow us to suffer in that pride and false security. What better teacher, amen? Many times his, he allows his judgment to come that it might awaken us. You know what he wanting to do? He wants us to awaken before it's too late. And it was too late for these guys. The mob's here. And it's pretty obvious Peter wasn't ready. Then he warns them, the enemy is near. He said, get up and meet the enemy. He told them in their folly that they were not ready. And the enemy was up on them. So you have these notes. This is in closing. Closing. Number one, it's not within our powers to stand against the devil without God's help. Listen, young people, when you're allowing the word, the world to speak in this ear and through these eyes, that is not resisting the devil. And there's no, listen to this again, it's not within our powers to stand against the devil without God's help. You cannot do it. Because we're dealing with powers and principalities. Y'all get that? Number two. Truly the spirit is willing, but the flesh is. How many, te- how many amens could we get to that this morning? And number three, we must be constant and diligent. Listen, listen to me, please, people. We must be constant and diligent to avail ourselves to the graces of God. 
He gives us he gives us ways to be strengthened spiritually. We can't ignore those and then all of a sudden uh, find ourselves to be spiritual. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We want to make no effort spiritually, and then we want to come to this uh, this this spot and be able to overcome it. Doesn't work that way. The spirit is what? But the flesh is. So, listen. No slacking in our reliance on and time with God. Are you with me? We can't slack that all of our reliance is on and with spending time with God. Be diligent. Fully on Him. Being diligent, depending fully on Him and not on ourselves. Don't put any stock in what I can do. Because I would do exactly what Peter did. I would fail. And so will you. Be vigilant in prayer. Be vigilant in obedience to what you know about God's Word. To be serious about godliness, holiness. Be serious about it. We might even want to take time to do some of the simple things he gives us to do. Are you all ready? There's a little list here, okay? Worship attendance, Bible study attendance, fellowship, prayer, family worship, putting on the full arm of God, time with God individually, time with God as a family, those are the graces of God that helps us to be ready when the battle comes. May God bless the preaching of His Word.